Well, today we want to conclude our class thinking about parenting in today's world. Some of the, the challenges that we face as parents that uh, may be unique in some ways to the season that we live in and the, the culture around us, uh, some practical issues. Ted Tripp in the foreword to the book, The Faithful Parent, said this. He said, in the simplest of times, raising children is an overwhelming task. These are not the simplest of times. Many voices are giving competing and often contradictory messages. The need of the hour is the timeless clarity and wisdom of the Word of God. The Bible is robust, providing solid counsel tailor-made for every era and culture. The greatest need of parents is biblical knowledge, coupled with the wisdom and understanding needed to break down the application of Scripture into sensible and doable training and nurture of children. You know, the reality is there really aren't simple times for parenting. You know, every era, every culture has its unique uh, challenges and, and the, the uh, temptations that come in those ages, but we are at a period of time where there is increasing hostility and increasing opportunity for things that are very contrary to the Word of God to shape the thinking and, and lives of our kids. And as we've talked, the, the primary issue that our kids face is not the world around them, it's their own heart. And, and so we are to shepherd their heart. At the same time, we're to recognize, as he alludes to, to the, the understanding of the issues of our day so that we can address those things intentionally as we parent. And so today we just want to think about several issues that are pertinent in our world and, and try to think biblically about them and bring some practical wisdom uh, to bear on these things. Now as we do this, we're not going to have time to develop a full theology of all these issues, um, but I do want to give you some framework for thinking as we move forward. So the first one that I want us to think about is the issue of gender in our world. One of the issues... Uh, where there is very contradictory voices in our day is that of gender. We need to think carefully as parents about God's design and the implications for training and nurturing our children in light of that. And if, if we're going to do that, the first step for us really is to develop a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity. You know, in our day and age, there is a great confusion about gender. You, you know that, you've seen headlines like I have of, of different things going on with transgenderism and sports and, and all the different things that are out there in our world. And, and there's a temptation, I think, as believers to say, okay, because we believe in two genders, male and female, that is like all we need to stand firm on in, in contrast to the world's mindset. And, and obviously that's a huge part of standing firm biblically, but the Bible has more to say about gender than simply the reality of it. It, it does start there. We see that if you turn back to like Genesis chapter 1, and we won't look at every text that I've put there on your, on your handout, but... Genesis 1 begins with creation and, and the creation of, of male and female. Verse 27 of chapter 1 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God intentionally created men and women. 
He created boys and girls on purpose. And, and he not only created them, he created them different from one another and gives different roles and priorities to, to them in different contexts. At the same time, the scriptures are clear that God views them as spiritually equal. God doesn't say one is better than the other, but he does say there are differences and distinctions. You see those in chapter 2 of Genesis from the very beginning. In verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. God created the man first and gave him a role of leadership, but acknowledged his need for a helper, as we talked about even back in the very first week of our class. And so God has given instructions, not only for the fact that there are two genders, and that's an intentional reality, and that they are, in, are created differently, but even unique and specific instruction then that God gives to those two genders. And so you can read portions of Scripture that are specifically directed to men and specifically directed to women for how they are to think and how they're to live. Titus chapter 2 is a great example of this if you turn there with me briefly. Titus 2 gives instruction to the church and Paul is writing to Titus telling them how the church is to function and specifically he gives the application of doctrine to different, um, different uh, scenarios of life and to different people in the church. And so in chapter 2 he says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He says, Titus, you're to teach the stuff that is consistent with sound doctrine, with right thinking about God and about ourselves and about all the other issues of life and salvation. And then he says in verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So what you see here, and again, we don't have time to fully flesh all this out, but what you see is different instruction given for those who are young men or old men or to the older women and how they're to instruct the younger women. And certainly there's some overlap. There is consistent characteristics that should be true of every person, male or female, young or old. But there are also specific things that men should be focused on cultivating and women should be focused on cultivating and that we should be focused on with our children. Now, I have five daughters. So I have... Uh, I, and I have no sons. I have a female uh, dog and bunnies at my house also. So I have more personal experience thinking about this with young ladies than I do with uh, young men. Um, but the, the scriptures give us what we need for a vision for thinking about what do you want your, your little boy or your little girl to be when, when they grow up? What kind of character and focus do you want for them? 
Again, this is, a, this is not a, a specific caricature that everyone is to look like, but it is a biblical framework for what it looks like to be a godly man or a godly woman. When you look at all that the Scripture has to say, there's so much that we could, uh, could see. But, but for, for men, what are some things the Scriptures highlight? Well, husbands are to, to be things like sacrificial, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, every believer is to be that to a degree. But, but men especially are called to self-sacrifice and to care for others as loving leaders who are eager to give of themselves for the good of those that they are, are leading and have authority over. This requires a, a courage and a strength of conviction to, uh, to lead and, and a, an eagerness to provide and to protect. It requires a, a strength of character, trusting in the Lord that leads to being dignified as Titus describes. Many of those things are, are true of, of women to varying degrees as well, but they especially are to be uh, uh, nurturing and, and eager to come under the authority of a husband in most cases if the, if the Lord provides, eager to be serving and helping in that way to see their family thrive and flourish. The scriptures emphasize for women an, an inner beauty that, that flows from a trusting heart in the Lord rather than simply outward adornment. If we're going to raise boys and girls intentionally, we need to understand what it is that God calls them to be as young men and young women. We have to have a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity. If you have not thought much about that, let me just encourage you to do so for your own sake, but also for the sake of your kids. If you're a man in this room and you've never read much or studied much on what the Bible says about men and, and being a husband and, and working hard unto the Lord as you lead your family, you need to do so for your sake. If you have boys, you need to do that for theirs as well. Same for women, we have to develop a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity, and we don't need to be ashamed of what the Scriptures say in the midst of a culture that is different. At the same time, we must secondly recognize the attacks on biblical masculinity and femininity. Again, in our day, we see the blurring of gender lines, the fact that our culture says there is no difference really between male or female, or at least there's a freedom of choice between becoming whichever someone would prefer to be. There really is nothing that should characterize men as opposed to women in our culture. But it's, it's more than that. And again, it's easy for us just to say, okay, we're going to reject that and so we're good. There's also the, just a, a twisting of the gender roles that's inherent in sinful humanity. Look at, back at Genesis 3. And I, I want you to see what God says is true of every sinful person in every... Um, relationship of, of marriage in particular. Verse 16 in chapter 3 is the curse where God is, is cursing the serpent and then the woman and, and the man after the fall into sin. And in verse 16 he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 
There's this twisting of roles that's the result of sin in the world where the, the desire of the woman, it says, will be for your husband. That's not a good desire. It's the, the desire of, of sin to master that we see in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. It's a desire to rule and, and, uh, and to control. And he says, in, in contrast to that, or, or in response to that, the husband will rule over you. Not the loving, gracious leader he's called to be, but a dominant authority. You see, what God has intended of a gracious, loving helper and a, and a sacrificial leader who has the good of his wife and family as his primary goal is twisted and warped. And so husbands want to dominate. They want to be the authority, the guy sitting on the couch telling everybody what to do, not a servant leader like Christ. And the wife wants to not be coming underneath that authority, eager to help and eager to serve and eager to support, but instead wants to dominate and to rule and to control. We have to recognize that's the tendency. And so your son is tempted to use maybe his, his greater physical strength than his sister not to bless her and serve her, but to dominate her physically and to, uh, and to, to be able to get his own way. We have to recognize that, that we are sinful, and so the, the masculinity and femininity that God designs is, is often twisted. That can look a variety of ways. For some men, that means that dominance, that aggressive um, seeking to lord it over of others. For some, it's more passive. It's, it's I see, you know, some husbands are this way. I, I see my wife kind of wanting to control me, and I'm just going to not let that happen because I'm just kind of going to stand back and not really do anything. For some women, the, this looks like trying to usurp the masculine role. We see that in the feminist ideas of our culture. You know, we, that's what is... Uh, um, what is, is dominant for some, it's more on the other extreme of just an extreme passivity of a, a submissiveness to all men that is, that is further than what the scriptures say. We have to have a biblical vision that protects us from the, uh, the, the twisting of biblical masculinity that are so common. And really there are errors on both sides. <laughs> you know, there are, are pitfalls on both sides of, of what that can look like. So we need to have a, a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity. We need to recognize the attacks on it. There we go. And we need, thirdly, to cultivate it, intentionally cultivate biblical masculinity and femininity. How do you do that? You know, that, that one-year-old son that you have or that four-year-old daughter, how do you cultivate a vision and, and, a, and a, a, a fleshing out of what the Bible calls them to be? You know, one, one step that I think we often miss is simply to delight in it, in God's design. You know, it's easy in the midst of a culture that says you are dumb if you believe that a husband is the head of the house and a wife is a, a willing helper coming under his leadership. The world looks at that and says, ladies, that is foolishness. But when you help your daughter to see this is a good, wise design of God, hopefully modeling it well in your home, you are, you are helping to say this is good, <laughs> The world says this is awful. 
God says, this is my perfect design. You see, really it comes down to a question of, do I trust God? Do I believe God is good and wise? Do I believe he knows what is best for us? And if so, we're going to believe his design for men and women. We can delight in it. We can rejoice in it. We can um, express that to our kids. You see, our attitude about gender and gender roles and the interactions within our marriage speak volumes to our kids about what we think about God and his wisdom and his ways. We should delight in it. We should be excited for the reality that God made us male and female different with different roles and and different priorities. We also need to model it. Both ourselves, your kids need to see in you a picture of what God intends for them to be. Not, again, in every specific way. Doesn't mean that You know, every one of my daughters needs to have the exact same strengths and gifts as my wife. Doesn't mean they need to have all the same favorite recipes as my wife. Doesn't mean any of those things. It just means they need to emulate the character and the focus that she has before the Lord as a godly woman. She gets to model that for them. I get to model what hopefully they are looking for in a husband. We also get to point it out in others when you see it. When you see good examples of godly men or godly women, help your kids to see that and to recognize that. Sometimes we see bad examples, like you're watching a, a, a movie and you see a horrible example of a, uh, of a, um, uh, you know, a dad who is functioning in a very passive way. Maybe he's just you know, lazy and, and telling people what to do and it's a chance for you to say to your son, man, what a, what a bad picture of what God intends for a a leader in the home to be. Model it, point it out when you see it, positively be willing to to point it out when it's it's not there as well. And then encourage it. Again, this doesn't mean that you have to um, have the, the kind of rigid perspective of male and female roles, you know, that that were true maybe several generations ago where, you know, every girl should be a nurse and every boy should be a doctor. No, there there are there are that, that's not a biblical model, but there are things that the scripture says should be priorities for women and priorities for men and certain roles that are they are likely to fulfill in those ways. Now, from the time our girls were young, there's a reason why we got them baby dolls when Christy was going to have another baby. It's like, oh, here's your baby to take care of, and and here's, you know, um, the, the real baby that mommy and daddy get to take care of, to encourage them to be excited about that aspect of what God has called them to be. So we want to encourage that in them. We want to help them to, to see the characteristics that should be cultivated in them and to facilitate those things. You know, th- this can look different in different situations, but I, I think of like when, when we would take our kids to uh, Six Flags when they were young and take, I would take my girls on a roller coaster ride um, you know, my attitude towards them was a little different than it would have been if I had a son. You know, when I have a, a daughter and I'm taking her on a roller coaster that she's a little bit scared of, my approach with her is, is not to say, suck it up and be tough 
and do it. My approach with her is to say, hey, I'm with you. And, and you can trust me and you can snuggle up with me and we're going to do this together and, and you can have confidence that, that God has got you and your dad is with you and he's not going to have you do something that's, that's too foolish and so let's go enjoy this together. You know, if it was a boy, I might be saying, hey, hands in the air, man, pretend like we're fighter pilots, you know, let's go. You know, there's just a different mindset of what you're seeking to cultivate in, the, in your kids, depending on their gender. Again, that doesn't mean that I, I can't push some of my girls a little harder than others in different ways as they're growing, but, but we want to think about how do we encourage what God calls us to? How do we help our kids to be excited about the things God is excited for them as a male or as a female? You know, we want our girls to... Uh, be excited about what Titus calls them to, to love their husband, to love their kids, to be a worker at home, to, to enjoy doing those things and to see those as a blessing. That doesn't mean that all of them are equally gifted in different ways or we don't know the future for them, whether they'll have kids or not, but we want them to recognize the value and priority of those things and to, to have opportunities to do those things. So when our, uh, when our girls were younger, we wanted to facilitate opportunities for them to be around other young children and to learn to care well for them. It was a joy to get to hopefully help mom in the kitchen. They have different skills and different abilities in that way, but we want them to be uh, learning and, and seeing the value of those things. So encourage it in your kids and, and then find it and highlight it in them. Praise it when you see these things in your children. When you see your son taking leadership in a situation, highlight that. Encourage that in him. Thankful for that. When you see your girls display an inward beauty of, of trusting in God and, and a kindness of heart, praise that. Don't just focus on their outward appearance. Sometimes this means redirecting things we see rather than squashing it. You know, think of uh, you know, your son Maybe uh, hit somebody, and you're tempted to say something like, don't ever hit somebody. Well, is that really true? I mean, there's times where a godly man may well, in fact, hit somebody. Now, they shouldn't do it for selfish reasons, and they shouldn't do it for vengeance, but they may be in a position where it's absolutely right for them to step in and, and to be a protector of someone else. So helping them to think about what is it that should, that, that, this zeal I have, how should that be restrained and controlled by the character that God intends? We can be so tempted, especially I think with, um, uh, I think moms can be tempted with their, their boys to, uh, to want to, to be cautious and careful with them. And there's an appropriateness to that. But risk is not a bad thing. It's a part of life and leadership. And so we have to, to balance those things uh, as we seek to, to parent our children. So find it where it exists when you see it, when you see your, your son, you know, maybe doing something that's a little bit crazy that you don't want them to do again. Don't just say, don't ever do that again. Say, man, what, what great courage you displayed, but you need some wisdom to go with that as you are, as you are thinking through life. So find it and highlight it and teach and train for it. Help your kids to understand what the Bible says about the different uh, roles and, and the different character God calls them to. 
help them to think about how that looks now. Let me just mention two areas. I think one of those is related to boys. You know, boys are are called to treat women with respect and honor, called to serve and love them well, their wife, ultimately. That shows up especially in how they treat their mom when they are younger. So the way that a, a son talks to his mom shows a lot about how he will ultimately use the authority that he has one day over his wife and, and over others. And so dads, you've got to be really serious about how your sons interact with their mom as they grow to help them see a model in you of someone who is lovingly leading in a selfless way and they need to address mom and to, to view mom in a way that shows respect and honor. With girls, I think in our culture, there's such an emphasis, as you know, on outward beauty as that's what our, our value is found in. That's how we appeal to and even control the opposite sex. And so helping our, our daughters to understand that what God sees as valuable and beauty, that God sees our hearts, doesn't mean, again, that we don't, uh, can't care well for our physical appearance, but we want our kids, our daughters, to understand what God values, to value things like modesty that God calls us to as, as those who would follow him. So intentionally cultivate biblical masculinity and femininity in your children. Again, being careful not to push them towards some rigid picture that you have in your mind. It's not that your son has to be John Wayne, but that you are directing them through the scriptures to the character and attitudes that should characterize them as a godly man or woman. So we need to be intentional to think about gender. We need to think about it in the sense of, of fighting against what our culture says about it, but we need to do more than that. We need to have a robust view of what the Bible says so that we are seeking to, to shape our children in those ways. Second issue to think about is that of media and technology. We live in a technological age. You know, you've probably seen the graphs that show the increase of technology over time, and it's more of that exponential curve, and we're at that time where it's just rocketing up. Uh, you know, that, that leads to some challenges for parents. This is a little cartoon I came across a number of years ago. A uh, boy's on the phone with his mom, and... Uh, uh, hi, Mom, it's Peter. What's up? Would it be okay if I save for college? Absolutely, she says. And then he says, so then you'll claim you said, would it be okay if I bought an Xbox with the money I've saved for college? Nice. And he says, and then she'll buy me a new cell phone. You know, this is a, a, a picture of um, the challenge that parents have with the next generation as it relates to technology. Um, you know, one is that our kids try to use it to get what they want. But the other reality is just oftentimes our kids understand and pick up on the technology faster than we do. Now, that's a, a sobering thing to admit, right? You know, most of us think we're still young. You know, we are young parents in this room. We are tech savvy. We can still turn on our TV and figure out how to get stuff. You know, we're not that generation who doesn't understand things. But as your kids get older, you start to realize 
that they, they do pick up on things pretty quickly. Now, not all of them. You know, I have, again, I have five girls. I won't tell you which one. But I have, you know, one daughter who struggles with technology, you know, who it's like, I'm not worried that she's going to be blowing by me. And, you know, if, if she can open Word on her computer, we're successful. You know, but there's other daughters who it's like, you know, there's a different, uh, a different giftedness in that way. And so as parents with technology, we cannot just say, you know, ah, it'll be fine. We, we have to be engaged to think about issues of media and technology. Now, when I, I lump these together, um, we, we could think about them separately. But when we talk about media, we're just talking about different forms of communication. And that, that changes a lot over time, how that is communicated. And, and technology is really the tools or the techniques, the, the systems of, uh, by which we function. And, and I specifically want us to think about the technology related to media, the communication of information. Now, if you think about the world in which you grew up in, how has media and technology changed? Let me give you an example. Not hard. You're all thinking of something, probably. And don't worry, we won't judge you for your age if you give an example that some of us are like, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, you had to watch it at a specific time. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. What else? Yeah. When it was like you could actually text by like, you had to push the buttons like three times to get to the right letter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you remember when you got dial-up internet at home and you had to like unplug the phone and plug in the computer? You couldn't be on both at the same time. You know. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you think of the, the computer that all of us have in our pocket right now compared to what you had growing up. Um, you know, for me, it was like an Apple IIe floppy disk deal, you know, or whatever, and that was cool that we had one at home. And, um, you know, you could, you could play a few games on it and do a few things, but nothing like what our kids face today. You know, it's not okay for us to just say, stick our head in the sand and hope for the best and everything will, will work out. We have to be intentional as parents. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the example of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 3. His sons were, uh, were not faithful to the Lord. And it, it says in 1 Samuel 3.10, the, the Lord came and... and um, came to Samuel and said, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel in which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him what, that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. E- Eli knew there were issues and he just kind of was like, eh, I don't want to get involved. I think technology can sometimes be that way. We know there are issues, but it just seems simpler to to back off and to not engage in those things. We can't afford to do that if we're going to be faithful biblical parents. First, we have to, to think about our understanding of media and technology. We need to be thinking intentionally about it. And biblically, and again, we don't have a, a lot of time to develop this. There's some helpful books like The Next Story by Tim Challies and, and, and others that are, uh, are on these themes and topics. But we, we need to understand that media is an intentional tool 
and that it is intended to feed self. It's been said the audience is the sun and the producer is the moon, and so the goal is simply to reflect the sun back to the audience. when, When people create media, they are wanting to just give you a picture of yourself. Social media to the extreme on that front, where it's like everything that comes in your feed is what they think you are and like. They're just giving you more of you and feeding and building that. You know, it's intended to foster a self-centeredness. It also reflects culture. So it's not simply who are you and how can we give you back to you. It's also who are you and how can we subtly shape you into what we want you to be. As a result, media in our world, whether it's TV shows, movies, short little clips that that your kids see on, on various platforms, rarely give biblical solutions, but sometimes they do show real problems. So if you watch a TV show, you may not see biblical solutions to anything, but you may see real issues that are true in life. And you will see how the culture thinks you should respond to those issues in a way that's contrary to the wisdom and word of God. It's because media intentionally presents a worldview, how to think about the world. It's fascinating to think about even just the differences in kids' movies, and and really it's not new anymore, Um, but you may recall when you were growing up, watching things that were produced even among secular companies that still had some um, remnant of, of a, a Judeo-Christian worldview where there was a general respect for authority, there was a general understanding of the dynamics of the family, but over time that has gotten totally uh, washed away. And so most children's movies or TV shows now present authority as foolish or selfish, They present children as right and smart, parents as idiots, and oftentimes it's the the children or possibly a woman saving the world from the mess that men or adults have messed up. That's just the, the picture. And so your kids, as they see things, are getting a worldview. Uh, in, in past days, someone said magazines are a gospel tract for someone's view of heaven, meaning the, the advertisements, the message of media is someone telling you this is what you need to be happy. This is what heaven would be like if only you had this. Now, most people don't read magazines anymore. It's all the other expressions of media that present a message of, of this is what you have to have. What does the media present is heaven for a child? What is it that they need? Well, oftentimes it's they need to be able to do and have what they want. And there are specific things that change over time that kids need. Similarly for for teenagers. And, And the reality is media is a powerful influence. You can think it's not, but it is. You know, tonight there's a little football game going on. And, um, and people have paid lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money for short little snippets to show people. Why? Because they just have extra money they want to throw away? No, because it influences people. Those commercials do. And so media is a powerful influence. 
I remember our kids watching, I think it was the Cubo channel or something, when they were young, and, and there were advertisements on this little kid's channel for, uh, it was like they were targeting kids and the parents sitting with them. So there was like the Pillow Pet ad, and there was like debt consolidation, you know. <laughs> and it was like over and over those things. So my kids, uh, you know, thought to be truly happy, what I need is a Pillow Pet. It's, it's a pillow, it's a pet, it's a pillow pet. Like, we need that. And, and it's like, you know, they, they had this craving for this thing that they didn't even know. And it's like, no, you don't need that. You have like 50 stuffed animals and you have a pillow. Like, you don't need this. Um, but the media feeds those things. Music, TV, movies, social media, all of these things shape how we think. Technology is a, a, a vehicle through which the media can come and a variety of other things. It ultimately, technology reflects the creative nature of God. Isaiah 54, 16, God said this. He said, Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapons for its work. He, God says, I, I bless the increase of technology. I'm, I'm, I'm a creative God who has made a, a complicated world, and it is a reflection of God's creativity and wisdom that man is able to develop technology. Technology is not evil in and of itself, but you see that technology can be used for good or evil. When you think of, of the Old Testament, and there's things that we don't think of as technology, like the ark, the ark was a, a marvel of modern technology at the time, and God used it to save Noah and the animals. Followed by the Tower of Babel, a marvel of modern technology at the time that was uh, an act of high-handed rebellion against God. That phone in your pocket has lots of opportunities for use for good, and it has lots of opportunities for use for evil. And in particular, in this context, technology has dramatically increased access to media. Like was mentioned, you used to have to watch the news at a certain time, and if you missed it, you missed it. Now it's like there's this constant stream of information that is always there beckoning to us, always there eager to shape our thoughts, eager to simply distract us from other things that we should be doing. So how do we think about this as parents? What is your role regarding media and technology? Well, in, in Psalm 127, God is reminding us of his sovereign control and care over the family. Turn there real, with me briefly. In Psalm 127, he's, he's speaking of the fact that God is the one who who cares for and protects the family and that the family is a blessing from him. And so he says in verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, like the, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. This psalm reminds us that ultimately God is the one who builds and protects. But it's not telling us 
sit back and do nothing. It's, it's highlighting two roles that we have as parents and reminding us that God is ultimately the one we rely on in the fulfillment of those things. One is, is the building of the house. The other, he mentions, is the, the protection of it. And that's really our role when it comes to media and technology. We are called to be a protection for our kids. There's a reason kids have parents. And it's not just our kids who need protection. It's our whole family, including me. Like media can, can, and technology can be a, a powerful temptation and distraction for us as adults. And so we don't just need to think about how do we protect our kids. We need to think about how do we think rightly as a family about these things. This is true in regards to sexually explicit content, but even more than that, or not more than that, but in addition to that, just the promotion of an anti-biblical worldview and all that goes with that in our world. We have to recognize we need to protect our children from the onslaught of what is coming through the media and protect our family from that. But it's not just protection, and ultimately we can rest in the fact that God is the one who guards. We, we are not awake all the time. God gives to his beloved in his sleep. We can, can be thankful that God has given us a role in that, but he is ultimately the one that we rely on. A second role is that of preparation or training, of building the house, of preparing and equipping our kids. You see, the reality is your kids won't always have parents with them. They won't always have a mom or dad to walk over and turn off the TV. And so we are equipping them and preparing them long-term to be able to function in a world with ever-increasing media and technology. It's like having a swimming pool in your backyard. You don't just protect your kids from it. You don't just add locks up high on your back door and a, a sensor and say, man, I hope the kids never fall into the pool. What do you do? Well, you teach them to swim. You still protect them. You still are careful. But you ultimately teach them to swim because you know that's the best protection is I can't keep them away from every body of water for the rest of their life. I want to help them to know how to navigate those things. So what are our goals in that? As we're seeking to prepare them, what are our goals regarding media and technology? I would suggest it's, there's a lot of things we could say, but two in particular. One is shaping what media or technology influence your children's lives. That's one thing you need to be thinking about and I need to be thinking about is what am I going to allow to potentially shape my child? What am I going to allow them to watch? What am I going to allow them to listen to? What am I going to allow them to have access to? Both when they are young, what will I pull up on YouTube to entertain my three-year-old? What will I allow them when they are a teenager with a phone? What apps will they have on that? What will they have access to? We are, are to shape what media and technology influence our children's lives. We are to make decisions in regards to that, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But we're also to shape how media and technology influence your children's lives. We're to help them to understand the goals of media, how to interpret it, and how technology affects them in their interactions with others. We don't just limit it. We try to, to help them understand it so that they are equipped to navigate it for their life. So when they see a commercial, it's helpful for us to tell our kids, hey, what's that commercial trying to get you to do? 
Well, they want you to, to buy whatever it is. Well, what, what are they not telling you that would be helpful um, to know about whatever it is they're wanting you to buy? Uh, just try to get them to think about how there is a message that's being communicated and we want to be intelligent in understanding those things. You know, you see a, a commercial for alcohol. And what do they show? Ah, it's a party. Everybody's having a great time. Yeah, do they ever show like the, the guy who's arrested with the DUI or the, the foolishness that happens afterwards or, or, or all the consequences of drunkenness and the destroyed marriages? and relate? Yeah, that, that, that must have gotten cut out of the back of that commercial, right? Yeah, they're not painting a real picture. And you have to understand, and I have to understand, that's the reality. So we need to teach our kids how to interpret media. We need to help them understand how technology affects them and how it affects us. You know, think of things like text messaging. You know, our, our kids um, have, uh, are, are teenagers, so they have a lot of interaction with friends of that medium. And, and we've had to help ourselves and our kids think about what's appropriate to communicate in that way. How does that come across? How is that different than if you were talking face-to-face with that person? All of these are things that we want to help our kids to think about. So we need to have a goal of shaping what media and technology, really of limiting it, but then of helping them to think about it and process it and understand it as they are growing. So what's this look like? Think about your practice regarding media and technology. I encourage you in several ways. The first is to be knowledgeable of your kids' media or technology use. As I mentioned, ignorance is not bliss. This used to mean things like don't put a TV or a computer in your child's room because you want to have access to it. That's more difficult now with with portable devices, but we can be careful about that and the access that they have. We um, need to be engaged, understanding the things that they are doing. I mean, sometimes if your kids love a little animated TV show, and you as a parent are tempted to think, this is awesome. They will sit on the couch in that room watching this show, and I can go do something else. You know what you need to do sometimes? You need to sit with them and watch that show. You need to understand what it is that they are listening to. My wife is very faithful at this. We, we just drove back from a basketball tournament. Our kids have been listening to a true crime podcast um, in another vehicle. And so we, got, we listened to the true crime podcast. It's like we want to we wanna know what they're listening to. And, 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 uh, and again, those are things that we, uh, we have, have sought to do. I've seen movies that I wish I'd never seen, but it was good for me to see uh, because I was with my children in those ways. Be knowledgeable. Know what they're watching. Know what they're listening to. Listen to their playlists. Do things to help yourself know what is going on. Know what they, what, when they ask you for an app, find out what it can do. Yeah, I know it'll do that. What else will it do? You know, what, what is the ways that real people, real teenagers use that? Um, not just what is the little description of it, but why, why, why do you want this app? You may have to talk to other people. You may have to talk to other parents, parents of kids who are older. Uh, you may have to find some college students that you can go to and say, hey, you love Jesus and my kid wants this. Help me to understand it because I, I need to know more about this. Be careful if you can't monitor their use of it, um, of giving them unrestricted access. So be knowledgeable, be involved, like I mentioned. How are you knowledgeable? Well, by being engaged. Now, this doesn't just mean being familiar with the things that they are doing. 
It means doing it with them so you can help them. I, I mentioned movies that I've seen. I, you know, my, I remember a number of years ago, the movie High School Musical came out. And, and at first, for us, with uh, our daughters, it was, we're going to say no. <laughs> like, no, we're not going to watch it. Uh, no, you're not going to watch it. No, I don't want to watch it. Um, and then it was, you know, okay, they're so exposed to, to this. And, um, you know, they're singing the songs, even though they've never seen it, because they're, you know, friends have. And, and it's, and it, again, it was not like awful movie. It was an awful movie. But um, <laughs> it was not like, you know, um, anyway, I digress. Um, and so we sat down and watched with our, with our girls, you know, and we got to stop it and talk about it and different things, and we ruined the movie for them. And, um, but it's, but that's, that's part of being involved and engaged is, and, and not every movie is that way. You know, you can enjoy a family movie night, but just trying to help your kids understand, like, what's real here and what's not and what's the message that's being conveyed and how should we think if we want to think like a Christian so be involved with your kids' media and technology use. I can't tell you how many text messages my wife has read before our kids sent them. And I'm so thankful for that. That commitment to say we're going to be involved and engaged. Third, be the authority over your kids' media and technology use. Your kids don't have a right to media or technology, even if they buy it themselves. Sometimes our kids think that. Oh, I spent my money on this, therefore I get to... Um, to do whatever I want with it. No. I, I allowed you to spend your money on it, and it's in my house, and so I'm still the authority over it um, in those ways. Um, and, and your kids will tell you, everybody else gets to do this. It's not true. Don't believe them. Um, there are others who, like you, are telling your kids no to certain things. Um, and so don't believe that. Be authority. Be willing to to use the God-given authority God has given you to protect and to train your kids. What's that, what's that look like? You know, some things, it's simple. It's the willingness to say no. Everybody wants to watch this. Everybody has this. No. We're, you're not going to do that. Um, we have to be willing to say no to things. Sometimes it means the use of technology to limit things. I am thankful that as technology has increased in accessibility to things, there's also the increased technology to try to control things and to limit things. We, um, we have generally used uh, a couple of things at our house. We've used um, Circle and some other things on our internet. Um, we, we now make use more of the uh, restrictions and screen time things that are built into Apple devices, both computers and, um, um, and to uh, uh, cell phones and, and iPads and those things. Allows us to do all sorts of things. This is a, a screenshot where we can control things uniquely for different ones of our kids related to downtime. So when those devices will work, when they won't work. App limits for certain things. Um, you know, if you... Uh, our kids have uh, various limits for specific apps that they're on or categories of apps. Communication limits, you can set it to where only certain people can communicate with them at certain times. What's always allowed, so when our kids are driving, it's kind of important that their GPS works all the time or different things like that. Um, and so you can have certain apps that are allowed. And then content and privacy restrictions, filtering the actual content of websites or other different things in that way. And you can set that in various ways. Christy can control that from her phone. I can control it from my phone. Um, we can use that in a variety of ways for reward or punishment, but also 
just to try to help them navigate the use of media and technology. Again, as we've parented our kids, our goal is to teach them to swim. Eventually, they will need to make decisions themselves. It was a big deal for our oldest daughter when she went away after high school to serve in, uh, in Mexico for a year. And I said, hey, I'm going to put the restrictions passcode in your phone. And, um, and you are going to now have some freedom to make decisions. And here's some ways that you can think about that and ways we can help you with that. Um, but you can now adjust some of the times for things that you're going to spend. And if you need help and accountability with that, we're happy to do that or others are. Um, but we trust you at this point to, to make some of those decisions. And we want you to have that opportunity. So those are things that we are working towards is to help them think about it themselves. Um, but we want to be the authority over that. Also important to use, use passwords to protect that, that screen time passcode or uh, restrictions passcode is pretty important for me to know and my wife to know and our kids not to know. Um, there are other things that we can, you can password protect or, or use different things to limit access to in those ways. And we need to, to make use of those things. It's better to be slow adopting technology so that you understand it and understand how to control it and limit it rather than um, to suffer the consequences of things that you, you don't want to happen in that way. So be the authority over your kids' media and technology use. At the same time, be reasonable with your kids' media and technology use. As tempting as it is to say, we're just going to all have flip phones and we're not going to ever stream anything and no social media, wouldn't life be great? Um, the reality is your kids are going to go out into that world. And, and so we want to, to walk alongside them and to equip them in those ways. There's not right and wrong answers for the timing of that. Kid, different kids are different. You know, our kids tend to think that just because their sister got to do something at a certain age, they will get to. And the, the answer is no, it's more of a, a, a certain condition or maturity when we think you're ready for that. Like, just because you turn a certain age and your sister had this at that age doesn't mean you get it. Uh, there needs to be a, a demonstrated trust in, in growth in those things. So media and technology is an important issue for us to think about. Uh, it's an important issue for us to care about as parents, to talk about with one another. As you have questions, there's probably other parents who are thinking through the same things at similar seasons of life. The technology always changes, and so even the tools to use change rapidly over time. And uh, so just being intentional in those ways. As we think about this topic, a third topic that I think is helpful for us to briefly think about is just the idea of adolescence in the teenage years. When you think of technology use, your mind probably goes mostly to those teenage years. It shouldn't. Your kids have a lot of exposure when they're young. Um, but those things that you anticipate. How many of you have, have kids who are 12 and under only? No teenagers yet. Yeah, when I start talking about teenagers, you probably get a little shiver up your spine. And, and you start to think, oh, no, maybe the Lord will come back before then or who knows what. <laughs> The reality is, is, as Paul David Tripp says in his book, Age of Opportunity, which I would commend to you as you are approaching those years, he says, parents are afraid of their teenagers. Even as they are enjoying the early years of a child's life, they are looking over their shoulders with dread, expecting the worst, knowing that in a few short years, this precious little one will turn into a monster overnight. That's how most in our world think about adolescence and the teenage years. We, we, while it's true, the teenage years bring some challenges, 
they bring great opportunity. That's why Paul David Tripp titled his book, Age of Opportunity. He, he says this is the golden years of parenting. This is what you've been working for. So this is the, 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 the joyful season of getting to shepherd their heart. So let me just in, encourage you with a, a couple of thoughts. One is the, regarding the, the, the myth of adolescence. You know, our world says there's an awkward time between childhood and adulthood, and you just need to try to survive it. As parents, you just want your kids to get through it unscathed. If they aren't pregnant or addicted to drugs, we've successfully navigated those teenage years. And, and whatever, uh, that's, that's the mindset. It's just survive. Get through it, and then move on to adulthood. The Bible really doesn't speak to that season of life. It speaks of a season of foolishness and wisdom. It speaks of seasons of childhood and adulthood. And the idea is there is an increasing progression of maturity from childhood to adulthood. Not like this increasing progression of maturity and then this and then back to adulthood. We don't need to expect our kids to have this... Um, wasted season of five plus years of their life called the teenage years. There's also the certainty of teen rebellion, the idea that, that every teenager will rebel. Now, I, I do think there's a sense in which every teenager will come to a season where they are making their own conclusions about life. And they are thinking more intentionally about things. And so they are questioning things and they are, are thinking through things in a new way. But that does not guarantee a season of rebellion. You know, that, but there's that mindset. You know, every teen rebels. Uh, sometimes that's true, but not always. And that shouldn't be our expectation. It can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you talk to your kids or you help them to think that the teenage years are going to be awful, guess what? They'll probably be awful. They'll say, okay, I guess that's what it's supposed to be. It's amazing how often I heard when our kids were young, boy, aren't you in for it when they are teenagers. And I would respond, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> like, this is great. You know, we, we're, gonna, we're looking forward to it. I mean, the... the um, Years, unparalleled opportunity that those years will provide. So when you talk to your kids about the teen years, do so with anticipation, not dread. Communicate high expectations for those years. Not your high expectations, not you're going to get all A's and you're going to be the star of the team and, and those kinds of things, but the expectation of you will be maturing, Lord willing, and there are increased opportunities and responsibilities that come with faithfulness that we are looking forward to. It's also a season of singleness, which the Bible says is a time of undistracted devotion to the Lord. And so prepare for the teen years now. Parent with a long-term vision of what you hope those things will look like and calling your kids to anticipate those seasons. A couple of ways we can do that are to reward demonstrations of responsibility with more responsibility. You know, one of the best ways we can help our kids to, to continue to mature is by helping them to see the fruit of, of faithfulness in those things. So when your child is responsible, give them more responsibility as a blessing to them and a way that helps them to see the fruit of that. You know, for, 
for um, our kids when they were younger. I remember things like when we would talk about what it would be like when they were able to be left alone. Ooh. It's like, what, won't that be, you know, what, what would be important to be left alone? Like, what do we need to have confidence in you? Or, and then it was like, oh, what would it be like to be left alone with a younger sibling? Like, wow, wouldn't that be something if, if you could, uh, you know, we could trust you to do that? And, and then it was to be left alone with someone else's kids. Like, oh, wow, like your cousins. Wouldn't it be fun if you could watch your cousins and, um, and, and, and they could go do something and you would be the responsible one? And, and so helping them to think about the fact that faithfulness, trust, uh, wisdom, a willingness to stand firm in, in the convictions of what you have, that those are things that are, are rewarded and are a blessing. And so when your kids ask for something, can I get this? When do I get a cell phone? Well, you get a cell phone when you are displaying certain responsibilities in lesser ways and help them to see that that's how God has intended the world to work. Teach them the joy of of serving others. Help them to participate in those things when they're young. I love it when, when I see folks bringing their young kids to, to intentional things that they can serve in. You know, when we have, uh, uh, like we had a, a Children's Hunger Fund packing deal and, and, you know, parents who brought young kids. It's not like those kids are like super helpful, although they can be, but they're just learning to serve, that this is the blessing and this is how we want to live. Let your kids help bake cookies for neighbors. Let them do things that demonstrate we can use our growing abilities for the good of others, not just for ourselves. What about the challenges of the teen years? You know, there are realities that come with greater independence and temptations, whether that's regarding drugs and alcohol, whether that's just social issues, whether that's regarding uh, sexual relationships and sexual temptations. Let me just encourage you to remember that the goal is not survival, it's preparation. We want to balance protecting your kids with influencing them. Again, the temptation is to just isolate and limit, but we also want to influence and shape. We should protect and limit. Don't let your kids go somewhere with who knows who to do who knows what. You need to protect and limit, but you need to influence and shape. Begin preparing your children for these issues earlier than you think you need to. There's a, a number of helpful resources, even as you think about like talking with your kids about uh, sexual issues. Uh, there's a, a resource, Time for the Talk, through Shepherd Press, the, the publisher of... Um, of Shepherding a Child's Heart and Everyday Talk about Sex and Marriage by the, the same guy, John Yuntz, who did the book Everyday Talk. Um, that can be helpful for thinking about how do we build conversations about these things from the time our children are young. It's okay to talk to your kids about the folly of drunkenness before they are invited to a party at someone's house. You, you want to be, be creating a uh, an environment where you can talk openly about these things and you are beginning to talk about these things when they are young. And be sure you're painting the full biblical picture of these issues. Oftentimes what parents teach their kids is things like, sex is bad. Well, that's not true. And your kids will find out that's not true. 
That's not the full biblical picture of that issue. The reality is sex is an incredible blessing from God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. That's what your kids need to understand. They can can understand that this will be, uh, Lord willing, in the context of marriage, a great joy and blessing to you. It's a gift from God to be enjoyed and delighted in. And and it's a a gift that he has given that we can, can find great pleasure in. And yet, it's a limited gift. And God says, this is what is good about it. If you tell your kids sex is bad, and they talk to a friend who says sex is great, they have to choose, who am I going to believe? And, and the, but if you teach the full biblical picture of that, they have a framework for thinking about those things in a way that goes beyond that simplicity. If your child is struggling with these issues, and really any other issues, encourage you to be careful not to overreact. If your child comes and, and shares something that they were exposed to at a friend's house or in another context and you flip out, guess what they're going to do the next time? They're not going to tell you. You want to have a conversation with them. So be careful not to overreact, to, to keep the communication open. doesn't mean you don't talk about it. doesn't mean there aren't consequences. doesn't mean they don't go back to that friend's house. It just means you don't want to flip out about it in a way that is overreacting uh, without intentionally shepherding them. And be careful to focus on the heart and the gospel. There is hope. These, these things are also the same kinds of opportunities for the gospel and the scriptures as when your kids were younger. You know, we don't want to miss that. That's the priority, is focusing on the heart and the gospel. And, and so much of their heart comes out during those teenage years. also encourage you not to totally insulate them from the consequences. We've talked about that as well. Lastly, just briefly to fill in your outline, an issue in our day and age that is unique and challenging can be sports and other hobbies. Don't need to take a lot of time with this, but let me just encourage you. I put a quote there, I think, on your outline from a little booklet, Don't Waste Your Sports. C.J. Mahaney writes, Often as parents, we think we've fulfilled our duty by simply attending our children's games and cheering. Not so. We are called to so much more. Informed by the gospel, we're called to lead our children wisely. Before the game, this includes preparing them to keep biblical priorities in mind while they play. After the game, this includes celebrating their expressions of godly character more than we celebrate their skill or the final score. Every moment our children spend in sports is a teaching moment. He then gives the following suggestions. And I would say, as I've included there, this is not just sports, but other hobbies, things your children do that require discipline and effort and consistent engagement and involvement. He highlights a few suggestions. The first is to celebrate godliness 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 talks about how physical training is of of some value, of little value, but godliness holds value for all time, holding value both in the present life and the life to come. See, my daughters play basketball. We just had a basketball tournament this last weekend uh, uh, that we got back from last night, and, and we enjoy that. But no matter how good of a basketball player my daughter becomes, eventually she's gonna die and spend eternity somewhere. And, and that's far more important. And frankly, if she's a really good basketball player when she's 22, eventually she's going to be 52. And she'll still be able to maybe beat my grandkids. Um, but that, that's a, a fleeting thing. And so we want to keep that in priority. Sports do reveal your kid's character and other hobbies. 
You know, would you rather them win with a bad attitude or lose, lose with good character? Sometimes that's a harder question than it should be as a parent, especially if we don't like losing. Is it to be the best athlete on the team or to be the best encourager and teammate? Is it to make the winning shot or to genuinely congratulate and celebrate with the teammate who did? Celebrate godliness. Look for that in your kids. Don't just give them feedback on, on the, the, the actual accomplishments, but on their character. And prize your family. Don't, don't sacrifice your family for sports and other hobbies. I was um, talking to a dad a, a season or two ago who had two kids. They were both in different sports almost all the time, and they were going in totally different directions. And so I saw the dad and one daughter at basketball. I almost never saw the mom or the other daughter, um, barely knew them because they were just in two totally different worlds. You know, we've got to be careful not to sacrifice things that we shouldn't sacrifice for the sake of these things. Love your local church. Similarly, Prioritize involvement in church. You can still be engaged in a variety of other things, but don't sacrifice what God says is priority for the sake of your kids' growth in sports and hobbies. Again, does that mean you can never miss a Sunday for a sports event? God doesn't say that, but it does mean your priorities should be clear. Your priorities, what you value and what you worship, should be clear, and it should be Christ and the church before. And, and view them as training for life. How many of your kids will earn a living through their sport or other hobby or skill? Maybe a, somebody will. Um, but view them not as an end in themselves, but as a means to an end of growth in character and training for life. Our uh, youngest daughter... Uh, with their dad as the coach, lost a heartbreaking game on Friday. Uh, it was, it was, uh, but that's, that's an opportunity for us to move on and to say, you know what, life's not fair. Yeah, there were some officiating things we wish were different. We, it just was God's providence that we lost, and that's life sometimes. And we get to, to get up, and we get to, to thank God for the gifts that he's given, and we get to move on. We get to learn life lessons in that way and in those contexts. So use sports and other hobbies as a means to an end of shaping your kid's character and focus on godliness in Christ more than success. Questions about these things. Obviously, we've covered a lot, and each of these we could have spent more time on, but questions on, on gender, technology, teenage years, these things? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's just um, trying to be intentional to find good things that are feeding them more than things. You know, you kind of have stuff that's like helpful worldview. You have stuff that's kind of neutral, and you have stuff that's hostile. And I think you want to really limit the hostile. Um, you, you can, although as they grow, you want to talk about some of those things. Um, I, it's been a long time since I had real little kids, and so as far as things, specific 
tools. Um, you know, I, I probably don't. I just know it's really easy as parents to want something or someone else to engage your kids so that you don't have to. And I think just guarding that temptation, like it's really easy to just hand your kids your phone, you know, and it's like, okay, you're engaged now and I can do something. And again, don't feel bad occasionally handing your kids your phone. Like there, there are tools that are reasonable to use. Just be careful in those ways. I don't know if you have any other thoughts, Christy, from that season. Other things? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think some of it is, um, you know, it, it, there's another, um, another app, I'd have to look up what it is, um, that gives some similar type feedback as far as movies and, and different content of language and, and violence and sexual content and things. I think those things can be helpful to give you some sense of what is, uh, what is in a movie. Um, I think what they tend to not give you is kind of the overarching worldview and message of that movie as well. Um, but, I, and I think that's, you, you just have to make decisions as your kids age. You know, again, that's where I, like I've seen movies that I would not have personally chosen to go to because my kids wanted to see them. And, um, and they were fine for us to see, but I want to be able to talk to them about them or interact in those things. And again, not everything, not everything that's, it's okay for our kids, I think, to see the reality of the world not in a way that's, that's glorifying it, but that is letting you talk about those things. And so it's not like um, we're only, we're, we're never, they're never going to see things that are wrong. We just want to be careful that they're not being glamorized and, and presented in a way that is, is um, undermining the, the truth of God's word. Certainly. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, I agree, we don't really have a formal ceremony where it's like, okay, this is your, um, your passing into that. Um, and I, I think as a dad with my own kids, I think it is a, it's a process of growth for them. So like, you know, our, our second daughter just turned 18 in December. It wasn't like we had this, you know, okay, you know, we're handing the keys to your life to you as an adult. I mean, she's still in high school and you know, but it is something that we want to be talking about. So I think it's more as parents helping our kids to think about the stage of life that they are and what that what opportunities that gives them and what that should look like. And I think, um, you know, I, I think as parents we can 
we can struggle in, in two ways. We can struggle to, to push our kids out. And sometimes we have to recognize that. That's like, oh, we don't want this to ever end. We, we love our kids. We want them. And, and so we're not pushing them. At the same time, sometimes we can push them too far and too fast and not be walking with them and preparing them. And some kids want more of that than others, and so it's a hard thing. Um, so I, I don't think, and, and you heard it reflected, or our, how we've handled it is, it's not like there's an age where it's like you've arrived at certain milestones. It's more there are certain characteristics that should characterize you at these stages of life. And... Um, um, but there are those real, real transitions. And, and again, I, I think it's a little different with girls, frankly, than with boys, you know, where I'm going to walk through life with my daughters um, more intentionally until the Lord provides a husband than I would if I had a, a son who I'm saying, good news, you know, and again, I'm not going to kick him out at 18, but I'm, but I would be, and I don't have a son, so it's easy for me to talk about what I would do if I had a son. But but it is a different thing, you know, in that way. And so I just think there's some of those things that are unique. Yeah, Candace. Yeah. Yes, there are. <laughs> yep, and I didn't mention it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our views have shifted over time. We want our, boy, our girls to eventually get married, which means interacting somewhat in some settings with some men. So we are comfortable with some interaction with some men in some settings. And, and again, that varies kid to kid for us and those things. And I, and I don't think the Bible has a clear, you know, this is what it has to look like. So, All right, well, let's, let's pray. We have um, not exhausted everything we could talk about. Let me just make two closing comments. One is... Think carefully about parenting. Don't, don't say, hey, we're done with the class. We're, we're going to check out. As you have questions, there are people in this room. You know, there are, are pastors and elders of our church. I love talking about parenting. Um, not because I have all the answers, but it's helpful to talk about parenting. And, and it's helpful to hear from others who are thinking about parenting. And so be, be willing to uh, engage in those conversations. If you have other questions, I would be more than happy to interact about these things um, casually in the context of church, grab me. Hey, I got a question for you. Or feel free to reach out. It's not a time to come in and talk. Life's more complicated in, uh, in those ways. But we're, we're with you and um, excited for what the Lord will use you, how the Lord will use you in the life of your kids. And we want to partner well with you to that end. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful to be together. Thank you for this class. Thank you for the opportunity to think about these issues Lord, it's not simple to parent in today's world, and yet your word is sufficient, and we thank you for the wisdom that it gives. Help us to believe the Bible and to apply it. Help us not to go beyond what the Bible says and to expect every parent to parent the exact same way we would, but, but do help us to be like-minded in, in the centrality of your word and your son. We pray these things for his glory in Christ's name. Amen.